Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Happy Monday evening, friends. Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Welcome to Praying for America, where we pray with Thanksgiving for this great nation, uh, for great leaders like President Trump, and for the great opportunities we have to take back our country. That's what his campaign is all about. Remember, it's not simply his campaign. It is ours. It's not simply his movement. It is ours. It's all about us. I always point back to what he said in his inauguration speech, that it wasn't just about a transfer of power from one party to another, but a transfer of power from Washington, D.C., corrupt as it is, back to you and me, the American people. That's at the core conviction of this program and the reason why so many of you take the time to be with us uh, each weeknight. Uh, We're grateful to Right Side Broadcasting Network and to all the other platforms that that carry our show, Getter, for example, and many others. Uh, It is really, really important that we understand right from the right from the first step that this is about us. This is about the power given to the to the to the governed. You know, America was the first nation that was founded on this concept that sovereignty rests with the people, not with the government, not with some kind of king who can do whatever in the world he wants. Sovereignty rests with the people. Not with the Congress, not with the court, not with the president. It rests with the people. And we can change things because we govern ourselves. So I want to talk tonight about governing ourselves. I want to talk about winning elections, learning from the past, and understanding, not only understanding, but committing to what we need to do. We had a big election right around the corner, don't we? A week from tomorrow, the Georgia U.S. Senate runoff election. We'll give you some reminders about that. Then I want to go back to an article from 10 years ago in nothing other than the New York Times. Many of you are very familiar with this article. And it's going to unlock for us one of the secrets to winning future elections. So let's go first to the Word of God. Prophet Jeremiah, in chapter 14, writes this. Let my eyes flow with tears, day and night without ceasing. For my virgin daughter, my people, has suffered a grievous wound. A crushing blow. If I go into the country, I see those slain by the sword. If I go into the city, I see the ravages of famine. Both prophet and priest have gone to a land they know not. Have you rejected Judah completely? Do you despise Zion? Why have you afflicted us so that we cannot be healed? We hoped for peace, but no good has come. For a time of healing, but there is only terror. O Lord, we acknowledge our wickedness, the guilt of our fathers, that we indeed have sinned against you. For the sake of your name, do not despise us. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember your covenant with us and break it not. Do any of the worthless idols of the nations bring rain? Do the skies themselves send down showers? No, it is you, O Lord, our God, and therefore our hope is in you. You are the one who does all this. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for America. 
We pray for America. We pray for these elections taking place in Georgia, that the voters of Georgia, first of all, may get to the polls, and secondly, may be wise in their choices. We pray for all of us that we may do all that we can to influence the outcome of this election. And we look ahead, Lord, to the elections of 2023 and of 2024, an opportunity again to take our nation back. We have taken a step forward in this election we just completed, but not quite enough of a step to get the job done. Lord, continue to keep us on the track and continue to bless your people with strength. In fact, with the same strength that enabled our founders and all those who have fought and died for our freedom to give everything they were able to give in sacrifice for this great cause. We pray in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen. Well, you know, when we talk about freedom, you see what's going on in China? And the, I mean, this is unprecedented. The cries of the freedom-loving uh, people, the protests, the, the reactions against this, this absolutely uh, wicked uh, authoritarian style of, of uh, governing, exactly the opposite of what we were just saying we're blessed to have here in America. You appreciate freedom uh, when you see these countries that don't have it and uh, the people, nevertheless, rising up we, we pray that that, that that thirst for freedom will only increase in China and that the courage of those people uh, going out and protesting in great numbers and raising their voices loudly against the communist dictator, uh, that, that, that that would only increase. We, we, we ask that the Lord increase that spirit, that thirst for freedom that has arisen in so many parts of the world uh, and that we stand with a thousand percent. Okay, so, you know, I think we referred as we were looking back at the elections of 2022, and we want to look ahead here. How do we win future elections, including next week uh, in Georgia? And I may have referred to you to a good article by J.D. Vance, who is now a senator-elect there in Ohio. And, and I want to go over to the board and lay out a few of the key points that he brings up in the final point I want to expand on even more thanks to a actually a 10-year-old article uh, from none other than the New York Times, but it's very relevant today. Let's go over there and, and, and unpack this a little bit. So J.D. Vance says, look, you know, you can't oversimplify what happened in the 2022 elections and start casting blame here, there, and everywhere. It says, first of all, the Democrats have a major structural advantage and they always have, and it doesn't automatically win elections. It just provides an advantage, and that is money. You know, we in the pro-life movement, we always know that the pro-abortion uh, side always has access to more money and the, the millions and the billions, uh, you know, that pour in and the government grants that uh, go, go over to Planned Parenthood and, and all of that. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's determinative. But it's an influence. It's a substantial factor, especially when you look at incumbent candidates. Fundraising was through the roof. The Democrat machine poured money into the uh, candidates' uh, campaigns. And again, he points out that that is, is um, connected with and built upon 
the advantage of incumbency because it's easier to raise money for your campaign if you have already won. That, by the way, looking ahead to 2024 is one of the advantages of President Trump. He's got the benefit of incumbency, even though he's not the current uh, president. He has the benefit of having been so. You raise money more easily uh, when you can show that you have indeed already won. And J.D. Vance points out in this article, he says, you know, show us a race, either in the House or in the Senate, show us a race, whether it was a pro uh, Trump uh, candidate like he himself or somebody that was not connected with President Trump like O'Day in Colorado who also um, uh, was trying to take that Senate seat but but lost that election. And show, show me a single race where a non-incumbent got in against a well-funded uh, incumbent. The power of incumbency and the money flowing in were major structural advantages. Okay. Then you have high propensity voters. Now, what are we talking about here? More people come out to vote in a presidential election than in a midterm election. We've always known that. What's happening now, unlike the way it used to be, when the high propensity voters, the ones who would turn out faithfully in midterm elections, were more Republican, now they're more Democrat. In other words, we can easily overwhelm, I should say easily in anything relating to elections, but we can overwhelm by sheer numbers the people who come out, not only because 2024 will be a presidential race, but because we have the, the, the greatest tool to to uh, to inspire voters to come out, which is the candidate himself, President Trump. But the fact of the matter is that high propensity voters um, uh, are currently mo- more Democrat. And this is what happened when we uh, saw the turnout in the midterm election. Although, as I've pointed out, we had five million more votes uh, than they did. So we did do uh, better but they weren't distributed in such a way as to win uh, as many races as we should have. And then fourth, and this is the point I want to go into that other article about, uh, it's the mail-in voting. Now, we have to get to the point where mail-in voting is reined in. We all agree with that, right? Where we want to have paper ballots, that have to be received and counted by the end of election day. And uh, none of this, uh, no excuse, uh, mail-in ballots and sending out ballots to everybody. But I want to look again at why do we have to, to deal with this? And what, And until such time as we rein this in, we've got to learn how to utilize the fact that this is available. In other words, if people are able to send in their ballots by mail or even where it's legal, have someone bring those ballots back, think this through with me for a moment. It's two different questions to say, number one, well, it shouldn't be that way because it's more prone to fraud. Let's change it. Yes, we are on that track. That's what we need to do. Meanwhile, what do we do while we have it? 
Why can't we use it to our advantage? We're talking about legal activity. Why can't we use it to our advantage? We've got to make sure no matter what the method is, that our people are getting more votes in there than the other side. And this is where we make the distinction here between votes versus ballots. You've got to get control of what's going on with the ballots because it doesn't add up equally to votes. Let's go back to an article that appeared in the New York Times in 2012. And it's amazing, brothers and sisters, what this article is admitting. Because at this time, the, the writer of the article, a certain Adam Liptak, was complaining about this because it was the Republicans that had the advantage with the use of the mail-in ballots. The Republicans. 2012 New York Times article. Let me just summarize for you some of the key points that are made in this piece. It's really amazing because it's showing us the path to winning future elections. We've got to get control about this particular phenomenon. What are the things he says in this article here about votes cast by mail? Here are the points that he makes. Number one, they are less likely to be counted. Well, that's pretty significant. Number two, they are more likely to be compromised. And number three, they are more likely to be contested. When you put all this together, he concludes election officials reject about 2% of all these mail-in ballots. That's twice as many rejections as in-person voting leads to. A person shows up if for one reason or another um, they can't uh, cast their vote. He goes into this in much greater detail. Let me just share with you, uh, again, a, a direct quote from this article. Let me put it at the top here. The votes cast by mail, quote, increases the potential, the potential for fraud. Now, this is not anything new. This is not something we're bringing up. This is not something that was uh, started by President Trump or anything like that. President Jimmy Carter and James Baker III, who was Secretary of State under the first uh, President George Bush, um, signed on to a report from the Commission on Federal Election Reform in the year 2005 that said this, 
absentee ballots remain the largest source of potential voter fraud. Now, why is this the case? Let me go back and sit down here because I want to read a couple of statistics that are just going to amaze you for the sheer volume of, of, uh, of how many votes are lost. Again, the difference between votes and, 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 and ballots. This was from a study that this um, article reported on that was done by a certain Charles Stewart III. It was talking about the presidential elections of 2008. Okay, And here's what the article says. 35.5 million voters requested absentee ballots. How many were counted? These are the voters requesting the absentee ballots. 35.5 million. But the number of absentee votes that were counted, the votes that were counted, were only 27.9 million. Well, what what happened to all the rest of them? Like 7 million votes. 35.5 million voters requested absentee ballots. Only 27.9 million absentee votes were counted. 3.9 million ballots that voters requested, that they requested, never reached them. Another 2.9 million ballots that they did receive didn't make it back to the election officials. And then, of the ones that the election officials did receive, 800,000 were rejected for one reason or another. Not properly filled out, not legible, some legal requirement wasn't met, etc. So this suggests an overall failure rate, get ready for this, of as much as 21%. Well, let that sink in for a minute. We've got to get control of the ballot process here. Again, this is not a, a, a matter of dispute here. This is not partisan. This is not talking about uh, any, any uh, uh, it's not ascribing any intent to anybody or, 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 or saying anybody did anything wrong. What we're talking about is simply the numerical statistical facts of what have, has happened in these past elections. Just going back to, this is an article from 2012 talking about the 2020, 2008 uh, uh, election. So brothers and sisters, look, when a person shows up on election day to vote, whether it's on election day or early, when you show up in person, what are the advantages of that? Well, first of all, you showed up. Secondly, it's clear that you're a real person. It's clear that you're only one person. It's clear that you're alive. And then you can verify your identity. This is when you're actually there in person. And those things can all be bypassed. It's like the difference, this article says, between an exam that you take, you know, in a room with a proctor, you know, watching over the exam, or a take-home test. Oh, what could possibly go wrong, right? 
And the, uh, the whole process here, we've got to get better, first of all, at using what's happening now, what is legal, what is currently available now, at using it better to get our kind of candidates elected, to get actual votes through the process of the ballots cast for those candidates. You know, we, 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 we can talk about in-person voting. But do it early. Take advantage of the early voting. If we want to move towards um, back to a situation where there's not so much uh, early voting just because you want to, but only if you need to, that I support. Let's work more towards that. But at the same time, while it's in effect, go in person and do it. Why should we sit around and wait? Not knowing, by the way, what's going to happen on Election Day, how many voters didn't vote because the lines were so long that they they didn't have three, four hours to wait. Or maybe they didn't even have two hours. Um, Versus, meanwhile, during all those weeks of early voting, the Democrats are operating their machine and getting those people out and getting them out again and getting more people out and working every day to get people out. We've got to utilize the same the same techniques. That's crucially important. So these are just some reflections uh, uh, to to help you with this. Now let's talk about Georgia a little bit. I want to remind you that uh, ProLifeVote.com is the website where we've got a link there about Georgia. And I want to invite you, brothers and sisters, I just sent out a few hours ago a fax to all the parishes, the the Catholic churches in uh, in Georgia. We're communicating with others too. Uh, but we told them, get your people out to vote. And 51 in the Senate is very different from 50. People might say, oh, well, the Democrats already have 50 seats, so they're going to have uh, control of the Senate. Well, yeah, you know, we know that in a tie a vote 50-50, the vice president who's Democrat goes in and casts the tie-breaking vote. But that's very different from the question of the advantage of for the Democrats of having 51. That's having an actual majority. It's actual majority versus a functional majority. There's a difference. Because when it's 50-50, the Senate is technically tied. So there has to be a power-sharing agreement between the two parties. You, 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 most of you know this already, a power-sharing agreement. They get to, the, the, the Republicans would have a whole lot more leverage. They would have a, a lot more say in, in the, over the committees, for example. It's a power sharing rather than just one party having dominance and control over the committees, which is what would happen if the, if the Democrats get uh, Warnock back in there and then they have 51 seats. Now, so this is an opportunity to further blockade the power and influence of the radical, wacko, destructive Democrat agenda. Radical, wacko, destructive. The way people talk now these days about, uh, oh, well, you know, we have to be nice in politics. Oh, it's so bitter. Oh, it's so divisive. I've got news for you. There's a reason why it's bitter and divisive. Because we have reason to be angry. We have reason to be concerned. We have reason to be upset. We have reason to take a stand vigorously 
Because there are people who are destroying our families, our unborn children, our border, our economy, our standing on the world stage, our prestige as a nation. There are people who don't seem to care at all about any of this, try to destroy our history, don't care. And yeah, if we love America, if we love faith, if we love freedom, you know what? We're going we're gonna to react against these things. We're going to be concerned about these things. Of course we are. And people who expect us to be just like, oh, well, you know, everybody be nice and, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's all uh, hold hands and, 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 and make peace with each other. And this, this, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. If you have a person of goodwill that just has a different idea, they're after the same thing, they mean well, but they're just misguided, that's one thing. You reason with them, you try to reason, you persuade, you be nice, you be civil. This, that's, not this, that's not this anymore. We have people in power who do not mean well. We have people in power who are not... We have people in power who are not simply misguided... They are deliberately trying to go in the opposite direction. And when I say the opposite direction, I don't mean just that they disagree on some policy or another. I mean the opposite direction from loving America, caring about freedom, and supporting our values. That doesn't call for, oh, oh, let's all be nice. That calls for a determined struggle. Like our founders came to the conclusion that they had no other choice but to separate themselves, to dissolve the bands that connected them with the king and to declare their independence. They sacrificed everything. We're at a situation now, brothers and sisters, where we've got to take back the very country that they founded, that they established, that they sacrificed for. This is the same stuff. This is the same challenge. This is the same battle as what they went through back there. So ProLifeVote.com has a link, as I said, to uh, Georgia. You want to make phone calls? Can you give a couple hours to make some phone calls between now and next Tuesday? There's a link there. Show you how to sign up to do that with our friends over at Ralph Reed's Faith and Freedom uh, Coalition. You want to... um, Put some things out on social media. We have a social media toolbox there. You want to just spread the word about uh, some of these points that I'm making about the, the importance of this election because of the difference between 51 and 50 in the Senate. You have wording there that you can use. Explanations there that you can spread around. Talking points that you can engage in. Let's all do our part. We don't have to be in Georgia to make a difference in the Georgia race. The whole nation is looking that way at Georgia. And we ought to be all working for the right outcome in this particular race. Let's go back into prayer. And we want to pray, by the way, for all your intentions. So as you uh, watch these programs, you know, always feel free to let us know how we can pray for you 
and we'll lift up everyone. You can do that right now. We'll lift up everybody in prayer to the Lord. Father, look at the hearts and the needs of our viewers gathered from all parts of our nation and, and all parts of the body of Christ. And thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for their patriotism and thank you for their love for you, for your kingdom and your gospel. Uh, bless them, uh, bless their needs, answer their prayers, protect their families, and give success to the work of their hands in their uh, strivings, in their businesses, in their education of their children, and all the things that they seek to do for you. Bless our nation. Bless the voters again of Georgia. That this race, Lord, is so important. We can put up another roadblock, yet another roadblock, aside from the great victory you gave us in taking back the House of Representatives, taking that gavel away from Nancy Pelosi, depriving the Democrats of complete legislative control. Their agenda is dead in its tracks when it comes to, to legislation now. And we'll be able to start, Lord, the the investigations that have to take place as well as the other acts of governance by a Republican majority. So we thank you, Lord, that that roadblock has been put up in the way of the destructive Democrat agenda. But Lord, we ask you now, we pray with all the fervor of our hearts, enable the voters of Georgia to set up yet another roadblock to this Democrat control, another roadblock so that the Senate can remain technically divided 50-50, and not give them the benefit of a majority. Lord, this is so crucial. Help your people realize the importance of this right now and to communicate it to especially people they know in Georgia. Show favor to our nation, Lord, because you have shown favor to it for two and a half centuries, and you will not stop now. Because as the book of Lamentations tells us, the favors of the Lord are not exhausted. His mercies are not spent. They are renewed each morning. It is good to hope in silence for the saving help of the Lord. We do hope for your saving help. We do turn to you, Lord God, with fervor. Bless the work of our hands. Bless America. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, I hope this, these reflections have been helpful to you uh, tonight. Join me again tomorrow and each night here on Praying for America. And remember what President Trump always tells us. We're part of the greatest political movement in American history. And our country doesn't belong to those who are trying to destroy it. It belongs to us. It belongs to us. And because of that, the greatest days are yet to come. Thanks for connecting with me on social media at FR Frank Pavone, as you can see on the, on the screen. And uh, love to see you there on all the different platforms. And we will talk to you again tomorrow. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.